this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. You guys may have caught part of my story. Last week I was gone in Africa for two weeks. I got off the plane, came here, did Sunday morning service, uh, preached, and then uh, immediately left Pagosa again to head up to Oregon to deal with uh, the passing away of my father. Um, and I, I kind of shared a little bit about that um, last week and just the kind of craziness of stuff that was happening, the things that were going on uh, just in preparation for my time in Kenya, during my time in Kenya, even getting home uh, to, to define it shortly, it would be, it'd be easy just to kind of chalk it up to chaos. <laughs> it seemed like there was just nonstop action every, since, every which way I go. Anybody been living in a place like that where it just seems like stuff doesn't slow down? Yes. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the only person. I was having a little pity party for myself, but uh, it just seems like life is crazy, is it not? <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, I say this because the whole kind of situation was strange. Um, my father passed away, and for a lot of people that might bring up like sad notions and I'm sorry for your loss and those things, but I, I was kind of in a weird predicament, predict, that, that word that I can't say, um, a weird situation, that's what I'm going to do when I can't pronounce something, uh, with my father uh, and the fact that I hadn't seen him in 12 years. The last time I had encountered my parents, they were strung out on heroin, they were running from the police, and I didn't know how to find them. I didn't have any kind of connection with them. In fact, when Kelly and I got married six years ago, uh, we tried to find my parents, we tried to find my dad, um, and we just kind of turned up short. And that may very well be to the fact that you know we hired some guy online for like $99. I don't know, you probably find a better private investigator than that, but <laughs> uh, it was... Uh, it was just kind of a dead end, and I got a phone call out of the blue that my dad had passed away. Um, and I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, I know this now. Um, there isn't like a YouTube video that walks you through what to do when your estranged father passes away. Uh, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of legal things. There's just a lot of chaos that unfolds with that. And I'm happy to report God did a miraculous work uh, in my father's life. It seems like he was clean from heroin for the last seven years. There was, a, there was a lot of good out of that, but it just didn't make it easy to process. It didn't make it easy to deal with. And I got home just the other day, um, and needless to say, uh, I am happy to be back in Pagosa. I'm happy to be home. I'm happy to be with you beautiful people. I'm happy to be here as part of this church. But it left me uh, thinking. It left me pondering this question, the conversation I had with my wife, um, just as when does it slow down? When does it get easier, right? Has anybody asked themselves this question? Like, when does life, like, just, is there a pause button? Is there something that, like, we can do to just make it simpler, right? Everybody's laughing. I see this. But this is probably real conversations that you have had with your spouses and had maybe this internal conflict with yourself and asking Jesus, like, God, when does things just calm down? Do they get a little less crazy ever, <laughs> And uh, I think about this, uh, especially for me in the context of ministry, it's easy to kind of fall into the idea that I'm, 
I'm just in this special class and category of God's chosen people where it's just always intense and it's always hard and it's always suffering and it never stops. But the reality is that's life for everybody, right? Um, you guys are confirming this. I can see your facial expressions right now. That it's, just, it's not just particularly exclusive to those that are in like full-time vocational ministry. Uh, life in general, for everyone it seems like, can uh, have this notion of, of it just being this incessant barrage of problem after problem that we're called to navigate, right? Any, anybody, you guys are right late with me. I see you guys are tracking with me here. And so I was having this like, woe is me, pity party moment with the Lord. Like, God, life is hard. I don't know what to do. It's confusing. Things are crazy. I just don't know where to go from here. And I believe it was in this moment that he met me supernaturally with his peace. And I want to talk today a little bit about peace because I think it's a concept that we're familiar with. I think it's an attribute of God that we're, we've kind of been maybe in the Christianese lingo for, for a number of years. We might have some kind of familiarity with this notion of peace. But I want to, I want to tell you there is a promise of his peace that we can have even in the midst of a chaotic life. Even in the midst of everything that's going on in the culture and the media and the news right now, everything that's going on personally in your just craziness of life, regardless of circumstance, I believe God can meet us with his peace that really doesn't make sense. And I'm going to do my best this morning to tackle this topic from kind of a, a straightforward biblical approach because we, we got to understand the peace of God is not something that can just be explained away. We can't just take a philosophical approach at what the peace of God actually is because Paul would even define it. We're going to get to what he has to say about peace here in a moment that it surpasses all understanding. It surpasses our reasoning. It, goes, it transcends uh, our ability to, to grasp exactly what the peace of God is. It's something that needs to be experienced for us to have any semblance of what it is. And so not only are we going to talk about peace today, but we're going to pray that the God of peace would meet us with his peace. Amen? Cool. Um, I did write some notes here, and I'm going to try to stay on top of them if that's okay. We use this, uh, we use this word peace to define a lot of things. And, you know, I don't know about you what comes to mind when we say peace immediately, um, but it, it kind of has... Uh, this, a variety of meanings, if you will. I don't know. I got into the habit of saying peace, like when I see a friend or like say bye, or like I'm going to peace out. I don't know if anybody ever uses that vernacular. I know like Christian circles like hate the peace sign and stuff because I guess it's an inverted cross. Some of those things are, or something like that, a broken cross. I, I don't know. I, I'm not here to discuss like the history of the peace symbolism. But I know that I've used it and picked it up in casual lingo to say hello and goodbye a lot of the times. It's actually uh, one of the things that is borrowed from Jewish culture when they would greet someone with shalom, um, or they'd actually say shalom when they're departing. And it, it's this imagery of uh, basically a hello and a goodbye that has a little bit weightier of a context to it. But most of the time when we use peace in our culture, uh, we maybe think about world peace, right? We think about maybe we're, we want peace in the Middle East. Uh, we want uh, a life and a culture and a society without war, right? When, we, when 
when we talk about world peace, we're, we're talking about wars ceasing. We're talking about division ceasing. We're talking about people living at peace with one another. And it's uh, kind of this uh, utopia mentality, right, when we talk about peace and we talk about world peace. Um, and people are consistently crying out for it. It's this notion that there's an absence of war. Um, and I think if we were going to define peace by the cultural definition, and you know, I probably could have looked up like the Webster definition, there's probably this context to it, but it's defined by the absence of trouble. If we look at somebody and we ask, are you at peace? Do you have peace? It's there's this absence of trouble in their life. And so just gauging by the way that I saw people respond to me when I was talking about the chaos of life, if we're going to use this definition of peace, I would reckon to say that probably nobody in this room is at peace right now, right? All of us have some varying degree of trouble in our life, right? Uh, whether it be what we're looking at in our bank accounts, what's coming on the horizon, just the fact that we live in the, the context of America and kind of the cultural just stuff that we're dealing with consistently, uh, it's hard to say that we're truly at peace 100%. And so it's in light of that, I think we need to make a distinction about the peace that the world offers and the peace that Jesus offers, amen? And uh, there, has to be, uh, there has to be a difference between those two things. And we see this highlighted in John 14. If you guys want to turn with me to John 14, verse 1, he begins this discourse uh, and this teaching actually over the next few chapters are some of my favorite in the entirety of the Bible. Every time I get a new Bible, it seems like John 14, 15, 16, and 17 wind up missing out of my Bible. They just kind of fall out because I love to hang out in these chapters. Less and less so now that I use my phone more to uh, read the Bible, but it's true. I love these passages uh, in the Gospel of John that start with Jesus uh, promising the Holy Spirit. That's the context of what we're jumping into. Uh, and then he uh, proceeds to tell his disciples that he is going to die, that he's going to leave, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And then he proceeds to pray for them in something we know as the high priestly prayer. Uh, I would encourage you guys, hang out in these chapters. It's really good. But here at the very onset of this teaching, the onset of what Jesus is talking about here in verse 1, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus here is talking about a promise of peace that we can have, that our hearts can be untroubled by placing our trust in God by way of Jesus Christ. Uh, and I'm really excited. Uh, I'm not sure when I'm going to get to this messaging, when I'm going to really talk about it, but... Uh, I've always struggled with what it means to believe. I don't know if anybody else has ever done here. I remember being like a young kid. It's like, I want to believe, but I don't know if I believe. Like, how do you like measure belief? Does it, do you have like a belief-o-meter that it, like you think about it hard enough that it eventually like, crosses over into genuine belief? And uh, <laughs> the government is listening to our messages, friends. Siri, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> talking about a belief-o-meter, uh, we'll get back to belief later. Uh, it's, really, <laughs> it's really cool. Uh, but I, I believe that belief has to be more than just like an intellectual thought about God, right? It has to manifest and transpire into some kind of action. 
And so uh, we're going to talk about belief in another sermon that I'm working on. But uh, very, very briefly here, we see that peace can be had. An untroubled heart can be had uh, by believing in God (laughs) and by believing in Jesus. (laughs) We see it broken down in a very simplistic way. And uh, it's an exclusive way, friends, for us to have genuine peace, to have a genuinely untroubled heart. Uh, The only way to do that is through the Father, and uh, that is also consecutively through the Son. We see Jesus go on just a few verses later in verses 6. He talks exclusively here that he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Right? This is, these are the words of Jesus. He makes some pretty bold claims here. Um, and I want you to understand this is in the context of coming all the way back to verse 1, that our hearts might not be troubled and that we might have peace. Now, this relationship with God that we're looking at here of coming to the Father through Jesus Christ is what I think we could easily define as peace with God. I want you to, I want to make a clear distinction here is that we can have peace with God in knowing that we're in right standing with him through what Jesus did on the cross in his resurrection. It's what Romans 5.1 would describe uh, in, uh, in, in Paul's writing there. He says that we've been justified by faith and we have a peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this peace with God, friends, is something that I I think is so important for us to to understand is that we can be in right standing with God. And I I don't want to assume everybody's background here, but if you're here this morning and you feel like you are not right with the Lord, I want to tell you there's good news because God wants to set things right with you. You can be justified with him. You can leave with an assurance this morning that you and God are on good terms, (laughs) There can be peace between you and God. And uh, that was made way by the blood of Jesus, and we're thankful for that. But I'm not just here to talk about peace with God. Uh, and this isn't really the, the kind of the scope of what I was wanting to talk about this morning. Um, I want to talk about the peace of God. I, I believe they're distinct. I believe they're, they're different. And I, I believe that it, it gives us the, the ability to continue on in this chaotic life with the assurance that God is with us. I believe that we can have the peace of God that really sets us apart distinct in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of trial, in the midst of trouble. And I believe it's a promise of God and the Holy Spirit. So as we continue to read in John 14, we look at John 14, 26, uh, Jesus begins to promise the Holy Spirit here. And I'd encourage you guys, read all of John 14. I promise I'm not like picking and choosing verses here to like get to some ulterior motive. But just for the sake of time, we're looking at uh, verse 26. It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
again, Jesus is referencing back to this kind of introductory statement of this chapter of his discourse here through the next couple chapters that he does not want our hearts to be troubled. He doesn't want them to be unnecessarily burdened by the cares of this world, by the things of this life. He promises us an inner peace that is real, that's tangible for the believer, where we can live at rest with God regardless of our circumstance. It's pretty cool stuff. It's, it's got huge implications for us. And so when we read verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. You, I, you understood that uh, I mentioned earlier that there was a, a Hebrew greeting called shalom. And if you go to Israel today, people will still sell, say shalom as a greeting or as a, as a departure, right? Um, hello, goodbye, kind of these things. And uh, this, is, this is Jesus essentially saying goodbye to his disciples. And he's saying, I'm saying goodbye, but I'm not just saying it with this this kind of casual approach. I am promising you that my peace is going to remain with you. I'm saying goodbye, but there is something greater through the Holy Spirit that you can have peace, not as the world gives, but as I give, right? We understand that peace in kind of the, the, the definition of the world's view of it, in the sense that, that, it's, a, that it's related on circumstance, right? If things are going good, if there's money in the bank account, if everybody's well and life is just happy, which doesn't last very long, we've probably all experienced moments of that, and you're like left thinking, like, when is it all going to go bad, right? <laughs> Anybody ever been there? It's like, you're still not at peace because you're like, things are good right now, but it's like eerie because it's too good and it's too easy, and you're like, what's wrong? It's like when your car's running and the check engine light isn't on, but you're still convinced like something's wrong. I know it's about to happen. I don't know what it is. <laughs> no, nobody else has that uh, kind of irrational fear at the back of their mind. Um, <laughs> but we understand that peace, when it's based upon circumstance, is fleeting. Because our circumstances are always changing. We never reach a place of like perfection in this life and then life just stop, Right? Life just stops and it settles down. Um, it, it's not like you get to like this golden age of retirement and then you can kind of like put your foot down, sit up, kick back and relax and then everything's just easy because now, you know, life's not allowed to mess with you anymore. That's, that's not the case. People get sick. Tragedy happens. There is real, uh, there, there, there are things outside of our realm of control that influence us, right? And it influences what... It influences peace, if that's our definition of peace, of things just being right and being trouble-free. Um, but friends, can I tell you that I believe that your heart can be untroubled even when there's trouble in your life. And that only happens by way of Jesus through the gift of his Holy Spirit. You see, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Jesus promises us a peace. He promises a rest for our spirit and for our soul that is unnerved by the things going on around us. I'm not saying that it just makes it easy. I'm not, I'm not saying that things just are like it's a magic button that just, oh, I'm happy all the time. But I do believe that the Holy Spirit does give us a lasting peace. It's a different kind of peace. It's a peace that remains. 
It's a state of rest for the believer. It's a state of rest for your soul that's unmoved by whoever's in political office, right? <laughs> it's, un, it's, un, it's unmoved by whatever the economy or the stock market's doing. It's unmoved by the, the diagnosis of a sickness or, or the loss of a loved one. And I'm not saying here, like, that sounds weird. It doesn't make sense when you line up the practical things of life, but there is a promise of peace that surpasses our understanding, that transcends what we know should be peaceful. And it's to be had by you and I. You see, Jesus didn't promise a... Can you remove that from the podcast? Uh, Jesus (laughs) didn't promise us a trouble-free life, right? We know that. In fact, in just a few verses later, a couple chapters, a few, few pages maybe, if you will, probably one page in most of our Bibles, in the same dialogue, in the same sense of where he's talking, he promises us quite the opposite. He promises us in John 16, he says, these things I have spoken to you, he just gets done telling his disciples that he's, he's leaving because they're pretty dense and he's got to tell them like 14 billion times that I'm dying, I'm going to the Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He breaks it down a lot. But he says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. I'm used to reading it out of a different translation where it says trouble. But you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That's a beautiful promise, right? The promise is not that we would live trouble-free. Right? The promise isn't that we just say yes to Jesus and some kind of like weird twisted version of the prosperity gospel, that blessing and favor will follow us wherever we go and nothing will ever harm us and no trouble would ever befall us. In fact, the opposite of it is true. It says to say to follow Jesus is to invite a life of hardship and trouble. You know, we, we read, I find a theology of suffering far more in scripture than we find a theology of prosperity. And it's not one that's quick for us to sign up to, but it's one that is far more beneficial. Because we get the promise of God being with us in the midst of suffering. God promises promises to be with us in the midst of tribulation and trouble. And it's a good thing. Amen? Cool. I've got a couple more things I want to talk to you on this. But there are some guys out there that are way smarter than me when it comes to like Hebrew and some of these concepts that I just found like that was really, really good. And I want to share this quick like three-minute video on peace, on the peace of God. Um, From our friends over at the Bible Project, we use a lot of their resources. It's really solid stuff. And so we're going to play this video real quick. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. 
The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, My peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say, Jesus himself is our Ereme. He was the whole complete human that I made to be, but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven and on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work, because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept. It's really, really good stuff. A little more eloquent than I can say it, but that's uh, really solid and, and hopefully helps give you a, a greater picture of what we're talking about when we're talking about peace. Um, I've defined it like this, and I, I've said it a number of times here. Uh, I've referenced what we're going to be reading in Philippians 4 here, you know, the peace that surpasses our understanding, but uh, I've really just felt like it's a peace that doesn't make logical sense. And I keep saying that. When I was in Kenya a few weeks ago, I shared part of this story last week when uh, we had the opportunity to, to minister and preach the gospel in a particular village that had just been devastated by tragedy. We came across two groups, uh, two large groups of men and women um, that uh, were preparing uh, the funeral of three young men that had died in a horrific accident there in their village. It was a time of great sorrow. It was a time of great grief. Um, but I believe this, that it was an opportune time for the gospel to encounter these people. And so while it was definitely in the sense of tragedy, and, and we, don't, uh, we don't say that God causes death, we know that he hates it, but God certainly used the circumstance to bring about glory for his son. 
And so I, I shared last week about how a group of us had the opportunity to minister to 37 men outside of this particular Boma, this particular village that had never heard the message of Jesus before, had never heard about the fact that God had a son and they could have a relationship with him. And this is in the process of fathers preparing to bury their sons. And we saw 37 men give their lives to the Lord in the midst of great tragedy and turmoil. And uh, simultaneously, I'm, I'm on another part of the village. I'm leading a different team. And we come across uh, at least like 40-something mothers and then more children there that are grieving the loss of their children. And we have the opportunity to minister to them and bring the gospel message to a very, very broken heart, just a heavy-laden people. And it was in this place that I was reflecting upon this. I had, the, I had the privilege of meeting with these mothers individually and the wives of the young men that passed away. And I prayed a peace that would, I, I prayed with them that the peace of God that wouldn't make sense would enter into their homes. This was a place where, you know, words don't really mean that much. I can't just say, I'm really sorry for your loss, but I'm this white person that came all the way from America to tell you about Jesus, and I really need you to accept him. These things, it, it, had, to, it had to be more than that. We asked that the peace of the Lord would enter into this community, enter into this village. And it was a beautiful thing because we saw them as peace was made with God, as they embraced Jesus as Savior. It was a powerful, awesome time. You guys should listen to last week's uh, testimonies if you want to hear more about it. But there was even something that was uh, almost, I, I don't want to say more special, but it was just equally moving for me in the fact that when we met in these little mud huts of these, of these women that were completely broken, uh, we asked that the peace of God would rest upon their homes. I, I, I'm telling you, I felt something tangibly shift. There was, a, there was like a heaviness that had been upon the team, that had been upon uh, just the work of the ministry that whole day that simply just broke in a matter of moments. And I can't, I can't do a good job about putting it into words because it surpasses our understanding. It, it, it's not logical. It doesn't make sense. But it is something to be experienced, friends. It is something powerful that God loves to do and he loves to impart to his people that you can have a state of peace in your life even in the midst of the most heartbreaking situations. And I'm not saying that it's always meaning that you have to be happy and you've got to have a smile on your face and pretend like everything's okay. But I do know this, that the God of peace longs to show himself as good and as evident and as near in times of hardship. Philippians 4, 6 uh, says this, be anxious about nothing. How many of you guys are really good at following that commandment? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm serious. This is a command of scripture. Paul's not like, he's not like saying like, really try hard not to be anxious. He says, no, be anxious about nothing. That's the command. That's the standard. And I realize I do a pretty poor job of fulfilling that a lot of the times. But he says, rather in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God this is what we're talking about today which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus 
Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Up until now, guys, we've talked about the peace of God. We talked a little bit about peace with God. But Paul gives us clear instructions on how to experience that peace. And he describes it as the God of peace being with you. This is really cool stuff, friends. He breaks it down for us really practically. And I'm just going to kind of look at it very simply. And we're going to kind of just walk through this passage of scripture and take it point blank at what it says to do. Because if I'm I'm being honest here, I imagine a lot of us don't feel very peaceful a lot of the times. A lot of us struggle with this thing of anxiety that God tells us uh, that we shouldn't. (laughs) And he gives us a pretty strong outline of how to combat it. And so in verse, uh, my first point here is that he tells us not to be anxious for anything. And I believe the natural combatant to anxiety is prayer and supplication. And I say this because uh, sometimes we combine those in and of themselves. And I think there's a distinction made here because we know that prayer is communication with God. If we're just going to kind of give a very like basic definition of it, prayer is you talking with God and him talking back to you and you listening. But I think sometimes we can kind of get into this mode, get into this mindset that we don't ever really ask anything of God. And we look at supplication as actually asking God for what we need. It's important, friends, that we do ask God for what we need. It's a, it's a strong outline uh, in all the models of prayer that Jesus models for us. Every kind of example of it, we see this real uh, understanding of the scripture that we should ask, that we should seek, that we should knock, that we should ask God for help when we need it. And it's a good thing. He's not like, he's not up in, he's not like up in heaven like I am sometimes with my kids when they ask for help. I'm like, you can do it yourself. Don't want to get off of the couch. (laughs) That's not the kind of God we serve. Thank God. (laughs) He's eager. He wants to help. He loves us when we ask him to move. He loves to respond. But here we say that the, 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 the combatant to anxiety is that we would come to the Lord in prayer, that we'd come and have honest conversation, that we'd ask him for help, and he would respond. I think a companion verse to all of this that we look in 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, 16 through 18 uh, says that we are to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. This is the will of God for, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So that, that, that obviously paints a, a portrait of the second thing that we kind of see here marked in uh, understanding of being at peace is that the fact that uh, we need to be thankful. <laughs> if, we, if we look at this, and I, I don't need to kind of, we could spend a lot of time going through a bunch of scriptures, but the reality of it is, is that we're to give thanks for everything in our life. It says in everything, in all circumstances, give thanks. And I believe this, that even in the things that seemingly are less fortunate, if we find a way to be grateful for them, um, I believe it changes our perspective. Gratitude naturally changes your perspective from your perception of the situation to God's. And I think it's important for us to live in the mindset of constantly giving thanks to God 
for our situation. I was sitting there, I, I was sitting there in the midst of uh, uh, getting ready to, to minister to these, these women as they were drinking chai, and it was a really uh, sad moment, obviously. Not that I thank God for the death of a son, but I do thank God that we had the opportunity to bring the gospel there. One of the things that was unique in the way that we were doing this ministry was that we didn't often encounter a large group of individuals at one time. Uh, we, didn't, we hardly ever encountered a group of men, uh, especially of that size, at one particular moment in time. And it was, it was under kind of extraordinary circumstances that we were there at the right time, but the Lord used it. And so we could give thanks, God, for the fact that this funeral was taking place on this particular day. Not that it was, I don't want to get twisted there in the way that, that we look at it, but I believe that there is always opportunity to give thanks for God regardless of the situation because he wants to show himself as good uh, in the midst of hardship even, in the midst of tragedy, and I believe that he can. And that's why Paul tells us that we are to give thanks in every circumstance. In everything we are to give thanks. But the, the third one here, and this is kind of the one that I want to talk about, um, we get this instruction from Paul to guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, and he gives us some practical ways to do that. And it's about thinking about the right things. It's related to what Paul would instruct the church in Colossae in Colossians 3 about being heavenly minded, to set your, things on, uh, to set your mind on things above, right? Um, and we see this, and I, I want to be very clear, we can't just merely dilute this down to like some kind of weird new age positive thinking. I don't want to get these things confused, but there is an aspect of thinking about the right things <coughs> that uh, sets us up for success and sets us up for being at peace. And I want to be clear, I believe that it's only by the Holy Spirit uh, that we can practically do these things that Paul is talking about here. It's so closely associated with Romans chapter 12, uh, with setting our minds on the right thing, of having our minds being renewed. Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by the changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. We understand when we come to Jesus, there, there has to be a changing of the way that we process things, a changing of the way that we think. It's that, it's that metanoia. It's that Greek word for repentance. It actually means to change the way that you think. And it's something that can only happen through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And so as we're looking at this, Paul gives us some instruction here to think about things that are good, right? I'm, I'm, I'm grossly summing that up in just kind of a very simple thing. Think about things that are godly. Think about things that are heavenly. Think about these things that we just walked through and that we just described. And, but I want to just kind of boil it down to one simple practical tip this morning is that I believe that what we often think about is what our eyes and ears ingest the most. I don't know about you, but if I go see a movie, uh, I, I went to go see a movie this other night with, uh, with Pastor Daniel uh, on my way back from Oregon, and we watched the movie, and I, I sat in bed that night in the hotel room just thinking about this silly movie over and over and over and over again to where I couldn't actually fall asleep. And I was frustrated because I was really tired and I'm still jet lagged. And all I could think about was like, 
this silly movie that has no point, uh, like no like eternal consequence in my life or anything like this. I'm just like, wow, this is frustrating that I can't turn my mind off uh, thinking about this movie. I don't know if anybody else is like me. Maybe you're, you have a stronger will than I do, but that's just, that's just who I am. And I, I believe this, friends, that what we let serve as our entertainment is important. What we, what we feed uh, through our eyes and through our ears, what we consume in terms of media has a lasting impact on what we set our minds to think about. If you disagree with that, um, you're wrong. <laughs> I can confidently say that this morning, that I do believe that there is a close association with what we ingest consistently in terms of media, in terms of our entertainment, um, and it's what we think about, friends. It's what we give our mental energy to. And so I didn't just encourage you, um, does the amount of time that we consume media I'm not here like telling you like you need to burn all your, all your books and throw away your TVs and those things like that. There, there have been generation of preachers, and I don't think that they were too much in the wrong that did preach those things. But I'm here just simply posing a question. Um, the amount of time that we give to things of entertainment, the things that exist for pleasure, you know, are, are they the things that Paul describes here in this passage? Are they noble? Are they just? Are they good? And for the most part, we're probably, eh, right? <laughs> if you think of the last movie that you saw, eh. <laughs> and I used, to, I used to say this all the time. I believe a lot of the things that serve as our entertainment today are the very things that Christ died on the cross for. I want, I want us just to be guarded in this sense because if we really want to be at peace, if we really want to experience this peace of God, I think we need to be, I, I don't think we can just kind of buy into the, the notion that we can have the best of both worlds. God wants us to live differently and free from the kind of the comfort of this culture. He wants us to live by a different set of patterns. Patterns. He wants to live. Wants us to live by way of the kingdom, and if we do that, we don't. We don't necessarily buy into everything that this culture gets to buy into. I'm not here. You know, I'm, you take that as far as the Holy Spirit would direct you with that. But I want to give you a practical, just tidbit of, of something to chew on. Something. 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 Man, I've got all kinds of things. You're going to have to rewind in this. Uh, please, when you post like a snippet video, use that one right there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the reality is, though, that peace is something that is promised hand in hand with the Holy Spirit. It's not just something that we can kind of attain. It's not something that we can graduate no. to. When we look back at John 14, where we started this morning, the promise of Jesus that he desires for us to have an untroubled heart. It's in the context of him promising to give the Holy Spirit. I don't believe there. I, I don't believe one can be uh, can be at peace without the Holy Spirit. Obviously, we read uh, back in verse twenty-six of John fourteen. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will. Bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. P 
peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I don't have a, a way to give you like three steps to practicing peace. I gave you some ideas here to like pray, be thankful, and uh, set your mind on things above and think about good things. And the way to do that is to uh, probably stop filling it with garbage, <laughs> if we're just being honest. Um, but all of those things only happen by way of the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to do something this morning, and I'm not, I, I don't always do this, but there's something called the ironic blessing that we find back in number six. Uh, and it's the blessing that the priests were to uh, bless over the, the people of Israel, that Aaron was supposed to kind of pray over the people. And I feel, uh, I feel led this morning to do this. I want to speak this blessing over this congregation. I want to speak this blessing over us. It's the word of the Lord. It's not some kind of weird incantation or anything like that. And then I want to ask that he'd give his Holy Spirit in abundance to us. Because with the coming of his Spirit, we are promised a peace. Again, don't take this to mean that everything's easy, but the promise is that he would be with you. The promise of the Holy Spirit is that God no longer is foreign or absent, but that God will actually make, take up residence inside of you. Right? That's why Jesus says, it's good for me to go to the Father because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will dwell in you. It's the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead. And so with the coming of the Holy Spirit comes God's peace. And I want us to walk in that with a certainty, with an assurance, not just some kind of philosophical like frou-frou-ness. We want the, the God of peace to be made known in our lives. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.